Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. It's been 3,120 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 202 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth because the truth matters. Our chief content officer, David, received the following email yesterday. Quote, My name's Maxim Edwards, and I'm an editor at Bellingcat. Many thanks for sending us your investigation into Patrick Lancaster's report from Matolkin with the analysis of a possible war crime by Russian forces. We were impressed by the level of digital sleuthing and your impartial presentation of the facts as far as they could be ascertained. End quote. Just so you know, Bellingcat is a Netherlands-based investigative journalism group that specializes in fact-checking and open-source intelligence. The truth matters. The situation is so dynamic because of the counteroffensive in Kharkiv, Izum, and Kherson our report will likely be out of date within the hour. But at some point, we have to hit publish. So let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess the collapse of the Russian military is continuing, with Ukraine establishing two bridgeheads on the east bank of the Oskil River. Second, Russian military leaders are confused, openly complaining they are not receiving direction from the Kremlin and are in a near state of panic believing that multiple Ukrainian offensives are imminent in Zaporizhia and Donetsk. Third, we assess the operational pause that Ukrainian troops entered in Kherson is ending, with Ukrainian forces setting conditions for another push. Fourth, we maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender— with multiple reports of at least some units already negotiating. Fifth, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, and the Russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse with their available resources. Sixth, there is now a small but noteworthy risk that as the, quote, special military operation fails— the Putin regime will be at risk of political upheaval that could result in government changes. And finally, regrettably, our assessment that war crimes would be discovered in Izum was correct. We believe what has been discovered up to this point is only the tip of the iceberg. 
Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. There were no further reports or discussions about units surrendering in Kherson today. We will continue to monitor the situation. Pro-Russian sources claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance on Davidi Brid. Claims ranged from reconnaissance in force to a full-on assault of the Russian strongpoint. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine didn't mention an attempted advance. Operational Command South did report a Russian Su-24 and Mi-8 helicopter were shot down in the, quote, Davidi Brid area. Russian sources reported that Ukraine advanced into Malasidrininuka, widening the Inulets River bridgehead to 18 kilometers. Russian forces' attempt to advance on Bezimen from Chakolov yesterday may have been a rearguard action. Pro-Russian sources reported that due to constant attacks, Russian troops withdrew from Stepova, Chakolov, and Vishneve. Ukrainian troops have driven a wedge 22.5 kilometers deep into Russian-occupied territory. Russian forces launched another attack on Bezimen from the west, which was unsuccessful. There is a grim resignation in the Russian millblogger community that the bridgehead cannot and will not be collapsed. Ukrainian troops used drone-directed artillery to shell Russian positions in Velika Oleksandrivka, which is on the Inulets River between Davidi Brid and Arkhangelsk. The video may be older, as it appears to be sunny, and it was partly to mostly cloudy over most of Kherson today. We did geolocate the video's location. Yaroslav Yanosevich, the administrative and military governor of the Kherson Oblast, reported that civilian homes in Veremivka were shelled, confirming that the settlement has been liberated. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ternovipodi was shelled and Ukrainian forces repulsed an attack on Novohyorivka. We continue to believe they are referencing the village in the Mykolaiv Oblast north of Kherson, but we don't have complete confirmation. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, didn't show any hotspots in Kherson today due to the weather. Kiselivka on the critical M14 highway appears to remain unoccupied. Although Russian state media did a news report from the M14 highway checkpoint, there weren't any soldiers, military equipment, or activity. Pieces of heavy equipment block off two of four lanes. Some assessment here? Seriously? Seriously. Another operational security, that's OPSEC, failure. We will never understand why Russian state media produces these videos, which they must view as a flex, and how the RIA can keep approving them. Photos of the Antonovsky Bridge in Kherson show additional damage from the HIMARS attack on Monday. Three rockets fired by HIMARS landed just west of the industrial district of Kherson, destroying a Russian barracks. OCS reported that the area of the former Kohovka Bridge was targeted to end repair efforts, and the pontoon bridge over the Inulets River in Darivka was heavily damaged. Pro-Russian sources were reporting that a new Ukrainian offensive was imminent from at least two directions, and it appears that conditions are being set. Ukraine hit nine Russian targets with airstrikes and completed 430 fire missions. That's a significant increase. OCS reported that Ukraine targeted Russian troop concentrations in Dudchani, Milova, and Uruzhen. 
The first two towns sit on the T-403 highway, a key Russian ground line of communication that's a G-lock or a supply line into northern Kherson, and Urogen is a likely defensive point for the T-2207 G-lock, which connects Berislav to Davidibrid. A convoy of Russian supply vehicles was spotted and photographed by partisans carrying prefabricated bridge sections. The metal lattice structures will likely be used in an attempt to build a crossing over the Dnipro. Intelligence enters the chat. Geolocation enters the chat. HIMARS enters the chat. Rockets enter the chat. Bridging sections leave the chat. Oleksandr Sinkovich, mayor of Mykolaiv and a man of few words, reported that the city was, quote, extensively shelled on September 13th and that homes were damaged, quote, among other things. Unfortunately, we have more information in the war crimes and human rights segment. Our assessment of the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 11th. You'll find it in the first seven minutes of Sunday's episode. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that a third backup power line was connected to the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, and praised the work of Ukrainian engineers. All three backup lines were reconnected for the first time since August. While the ZNPP isn't generating electrical power, the repair work to the 150-kilovolt circuit restored electrical service in Enerkhodar. For the first time since inspectors started their full-time presence at the plant, IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi disputed Russian Ministry of Defense claims that the facility was still being shelled. He said, quote, While there has been no shelling at or near the ZNPP in recent days, it was still occurring in the wider area. End quote. Grossi also reported that a large supply of nuclear safety equipment donated by Hungary, Romania, and Spain had arrived in Ukraine. This is the second shipment of radiological monitoring and protection equipment since July. All six reactors at ZNPP remain in a cold state, and negotiations to create a demilitarized zone around the plant continue. Russian state media claimed Ukraine made a third attempt to storm the ZNPP, with troops on a barge slowly crossing the Dnipro in broad daylight. Faced with danger beyond all belief, Russian military aviation gallantly destroyed it with a single Ka-52 alligator attack helicopter. If you think we're being snarky, this is what the private military company or PMC Wagner Grey Zone Channel had to say about the Russia Today story. Quote, I honestly do not understand the reasoning. Why do they post something like this from time to time? This enemy, Ukraine, recently organized sabotage in Crimea. Here they decide to sail for the third time on some raft. Then they land on an unequipped coast, without equipment, in the daytime, and try to gain a foothold without artillery and reserves. Who will believe it? Only an idiot. End quote. Hey, they said it, not me. Russian forces stepped up the shelling of Nikopol and Markhanets, with 75 artillery shells landing across the Hromadas. Electrical power was knocked out to 3,000 homes, and natural gas service was disrupted. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. 
Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. Pro-Russian accounts reported that Ukrainian forces were probing Russian defenses in Kostyantanivka and Drozhnyanka. Otherwise, there was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orkhiv to Malishirvaki. The Russian millblogger community continues to spread rumors of imminent offensives in multiple locations, with Zaporizhia invited to the speculation party. Suggestions were flying of looming offensives on Polohi or Tokmak Melitopol. The Russian Ministry of Defense has created an information vacuum within Ukraine, contributing to the rampant rumors and speculation. We also believe that the Ukrainians are running disinformation campaigns targeting Russian troops to sow fear, uncertainty, and doubt, also called FUD. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, claimed that columns of Russian military hardware were leaving the city in the direction of Crimea. Insurgents were able to document the route taken and documented the convoy stopping in Chonkhar near the Black Sea coast. There is speculation that this does not represent a Russian retreat, but Russian family members of occupiers and soldiers being evacuated. We can't validate what the Russian motivation is, but we won't label the activity today as a withdrawal. Rockets fired from HIMARS hit a supply depot, the airfield, and key Russian defensive positions around Melitopol. Some quick assessment here. At the risk of contributing to the FUD, you can build an argument that Ukraine is setting conditions for an offensive in this region. In all seriousness, with the multiple attacks on Tokmak and Melitopol, the insurgency strength in the region, and Ukrainian forces chipping away at the Russian defensive line south of Orihiv, you can totally build that case. After writing this section, PMC Wagner Channel Grey Zone shared a message from Yevin Balitsky, the Russian-appointed military civilian administrator of occupied Zaporizhia, that said, quote, The Zaporizhia region is ready for the development of any events on the front line. All areas that need to be blocked are mined. End quote. To be clear, mining potential areas of advance cuts both ways, and indicates that Russian forces no longer intend to advance northward from the line of conflict, if the claim is true. There was limited fighting west of Donetsk, because apparently World War II General Zhukov's ghost is in command of the strategy, with heavy artillery barrages along the line. Likely conscripts of the First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, are throwing themselves into Ukrainian defensive lines and artillery fire right this very moment. DNR military officials did not report any ground attack efforts. Additionally, our favorite FSB colonel, wanted war criminal, and Kremlin pariah Igor Girkin-Strelkov said there was, quote, no change on the Donetsk front. The GSAFU reported positional battles in Avdiivka and Vodyana. Now, when it comes to assessment and updates west of the Donetsk, Strelkov is a very reliable source. In his update today, he reported that the DNR controls about one-third of Marinka and has been unable to change the tactical situation after weeks of fighting. 
The Russian-occupied city of Makivka was shelled or hit by rockets fired by HIMARS. A large fire erupted after the strike. Russian state media source RBC went after Strelkov and his doomerism in a September 13th story. Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov was explicitly asked about Strelkov's telegram post in a press conference, and doing his best Mohammed Said al-Sahaf impression, he responded, quote, The Russians support the president. This is confirmed by the mood of people and the actions of people. Their participation in the elections. The choice made by the people. This is confirmed by the statistics. People are really consolidated around the decisions that the head of state makes. End quote. As for other points of view and critical statements, as long as they remain within the law, Peskov continued, quote, This is pluralism, but the line is very, very thin. You have to be very, very careful here. End quote. Strelkov responded defiantly on Telegram, accurately writing, quote, I did not begin to criticize the work of the Russian Ministry of Defense. I have been openly and regularly declaring for more than six months that if we continue to fight the way our troops have been fighting under the leadership of the Russian Defense Ministry, then we will eventually suffer a crushing defeat in this war. Period. End quote. Assessment here? This sounds very much like, come at me, bro. And, oh my god, why do we agree with this war criminal so much? That's right, because the truth matters, and he spits out a lot of truth. He also spouts hatred, racism, anti-Semitism, and proud declarations of his war crimes and terrorist activities. He is so awful, yet fascinating, and very capable of reading a battlefield. In Mariupol, insurgents set off an IED that moderately wounded three police officers as they attempted to remove the Yi character off a wall. Unique to the Ukrainian alphabet, Yi exploded as a symbol of resistance in Mariupol after partisans shared a TikTok video that explained the history of the Cyrillic alphabet letter. In Bakhmut, well, I refuse to say broken record because most of our audience won't know what that is, and that makes me feel old. So instead, I'll sound like a parrot that knows less than 50 words. Russian forces, led by PMC Wagner Group, fought positional battles on the outskirts of Bakhmutska and Bakhmut. Wagner claimed they broke through the Ukrainian stronghold on the highway east of the city and entered the industrial district. And almost no one believed them. Pro-Russian accounts claimed Wagner entered Solidar from the north and then claimed that the Russian strategy was not to enter Solidar, but to capture the Ukrainian strongholds around the city and then freely enter. Editor's note, how does one enter the city in a frontal attack while at the same time not wanting to enter the city? Are they that... you know what? Never mind. Strelkov became the first prominent Russian voice to call the ongoing offensive operation pointless, saying, quote, an offensive in the operational shadow of large enemy strike groups hanging from the flanks, in my opinion, is a senseless, if not worse, waste of forces. End quote. Some quick assessment. Get out of our heads, Strelkov! Look, PMC Wagner doesn't care about the waste of their employees. The ongoing offensive that the Kremlin is paying a king's ransom to the oligarch and close Putin ally Dmitry Valerievich Utkin to lead 
is quite profitable. Russian forces attempted to advance on Zaitseve, southeast of Bakhmut, and did not move the line of conflict. Fighting continued for control of Mykolaiv Kadruha with no change in the situation. PMC Wagner attempted to flank the village by advancing on Odradivka. While they created more revenue for Utkin, they were unsuccessful in moving the line of conflict. Kadyrovites with the 141st Akhmat continued to fight for control of the train station in Mayorsk, but have yet to share any TikTok videos of themselves bravely fighting traffic lights and street signs. Our assessment in Bakhmut is unchanged from August 25th, which we recapped on last Thursday's episode around minutes 16 or 17. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, Russian forces continue to control Lehman, with Wargonzo reporting the situation has gotten worse, but holding on to the Kremlin refrain of, there is no panic. They reported that artillery support is helping, but did not claim it is dominant, which is consistent with reports from the GSAFU. Ukrainian officials reported that Stari Karavan was shelled on the evening of September 13th, Kiev time, but was no longer under artillery fire in the morning. Russian forces to the northwest, north and northeast of Lehman have been withdrawing, likely impacting the quantity and quality of artillery support for Russian troops. As we were finishing this report, Wargonzo reported that an attempt to advance into Lehman was ongoing. We cannot, however, confirm the veracity of that most recent report. Some assessment here. We maintain that every day Russian forces remain in Lehman is another day closer to being fully encircled. Due to the developments east of the Oskil River in Kharkiv, the defense of Lehman is likely a wasted effort. Russian forces shelled the settlements of Bilohorivka, Spirna, and Verknokamyanskia. These reports support that Ukraine is moving toward Popozna and Lysychansk. There are reports that Ukrainian and Russian troops are fighting in the forests south of Kremina and around Yampil. Russian sources report that the Ukrainian Air Force operates freely in the area. This is likely due to the fall of Kharkiv and the loss of hundreds of pieces of military equipment. Serhi Haidai, Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor, reported that Russian troops had disabled mobile internet service in Luhansk as a security measure. Russia's military leaders have repeatedly made this mistake, disabling their ERA secure communication systems, which rely on 3G and 4G cellular service. In the past, Russian commanders have been forced to switch to unsecured communications and break OPSEC. Our assessment here... We maintain the Russian occupation of most of Luhansk is now at risk of collapsing, with the fall of the Izum Axis and Ukrainian troops actively operating across the Seversky Donetsk River. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, we've updated both belligerents' objectives. The updated Russian objective is to retreat and minimize casualties, prevent Ukrainian forces from advancing from their bridgeheads on the east bank of the Oskil River, and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale. The updated Ukrainian objective is to liberate all of Kharkiv Oblast 
sever G-locks into Luhansk, protect civilian lives, and defend the Ukrainian border. Ukraine has secured administrative control over 4,000 square kilometers of recently liberated territory and is working on clearing an additional 4,000. Officers reported that some pensioners have already started receiving their payments again, including a five-month lump sum for the time they lived under Russian occupation. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited the center of Izum, surrounded by smiling Ukrainian troops. Russian forces are shelling Kupyansk, and NASA firms suggested there was fighting in the industrial area in the eastern part of the city. Deep State, which is extremely conservative in its mapping, assessed that Ukraine has already broken into Russian lines east of the Oskil, with the region surrounding the eastern half of Kupyansk contested. PMC Wagner Channel Reverse Side of the Metal, which is surprisingly accurate when they doompost, reported that Ukrainian forces crossed the Oskil and established a bridgehead at Borova. Based on other intelligence, we assess this claim as valid. Ukrainian forces can advance east from Borova and sever the P-66 highway G-lock and move to occupy Svatov. It's doubtful Russia has enough troop strength, communications, or organized resistance to stop an advance in this direction. If Ukrainian forces can sever the P-66, which doesn't require capturing Svatov, and take Kremina by Severodonetsk, Russian troops that remain in Lyman, Oleksandrivka, and east of Oskil will be encircled. Some assessment here. Ukrainian forces appear to have breached the Russian defensive lines, which are barely established, in two locations and are pressing from the south. If the Ukrainian armed forces have treated the last few days as an operational pause, they almost certainly have the combat power to advance to the Kharkiv administrative border. Taking this area would enable Ukraine to liberate the northern regions of Luhansk. Electrical power has been restored across the oblast after the weekend cruise missile attacks, and there were no reports of attacks on Kharkiv for the second day in a row. Russian troops shelled the Izum and Chehiv districts, and the previously mentioned Kupyansk, wounding three civilians in total, one in each region. It isn't all good news. The number and scope of war crime scenes being discovered are rapidly increasing. There's more information in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine, starting with a brief errors and omissions. Yesterday, we reported that a Russian Su-25 ground attack aircraft crashed on takeoff in Russian-occupied Crimea. We have since learned that the plane was taking off from Tagonrog Air Force Base near the Azov Sea, just across the Ukrainian border. We thank you for understanding as we cut through the fog of war. The main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or SBU, reported that the Russian Ministry of Defense is canceling planned deployments of Russian troops into Ukraine en masse because so many troops are refusing deployment, saying, quote, Servicemen of the 5th Separate Tank Brigade of the 36th Army in Ulan Udi, Russia, who write reports for dismissal due to the refusal to continue to participate in hostilities in Ukraine, are dismissed from service without taking into account any benefits. End quote. Because Russia has not formally declared war, members of the Russian Federation Armed Forces can refuse to go to Ukraine. 
Previously, the Russian Ministry of Defense announced they would not be dispatching new military units to Ukraine, saying, quote, The current situation in the military theater and distrust for the high command forced a large number of volunteers to flatly refuse the prospect of service in combat conditions. End quote. During a Pentagon press briefing, a reporter asked Press Secretary General Pat Ryder if the Pentagon was surprised by the speed of Ukraine's counteroffensive in the Kharkiv region. Ryder responded with a delicious slice of snark, saying, quote, If anyone was surprised, just based on the reports we've seen, it was probably the Russians. End quote. Azerbaijan has crossed the border into Armenia, where heavy fighting is ongoing. Armenia requested military intervention through the CSTO Pact, the Russian Federation version of NATO. Russia had a peacekeeper presence in Armenia, but withdrew the troops in late March when the, quote, special military operation in Ukraine unraveled outside Kyiv. CSTO reported they were sending military observers to, quote, assess the current situation and to create, quote, draft proposals for the de-escalation of tensions. The Kremlin would not comment on whether they were or could send troops, only saying that President Putin was, quote, taking every effort to de-escalate tensions. The situation between Armenia and Azerbaijan started deteriorating just hours after Russian troops withdrew in March and erupted into a full-scale border conflict this week. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Pavlo Kirilenko, head of the Donetsk Oblast Military Administration, reported five civilians were killed and 16 wounded in an intense artillery barrage on Bakhmut. The city has been under constant attack since mid-July, with Russian proxy forces unable to make a breakthrough into the city. Vitaly Kim, head of the Mykolaiv Oblast Military Administration, reported that Russia struck Mykolaiv using S-300 anti-aircraft missiles for a ground attack, damaging a school, civilian infrastructure, and residential buildings, including a nine- and five-story block of apartments. Two civilians were killed, and three others were wounded. Russian occupying forces left Viscopilia in Kherson uninhabitable due to looting and intentional property destruction. Kherson Oblast Governor Yanushevich said that Russian troops destroyed the interior of homes and took cars, bicycles, electronics, and appliances. Quote, Everything was either destroyed by shelling or looted by the military of the aggressor country. End quote. Looting is considered a war crime under the Geneva Convention. Videos were emerging showing the state that homes were left in by Russian occupiers, and they resembled an Airbnb party gone very bad and worse. In our full situation report on Patreon, we link to video that may be more impactful for Western European and North American audiences who hear Ukraine and think of Soviet-era dachas and small cottages. This video will change your perspective if that's the picture in your head. In recently liberated Balaklia, Ukrainian authorities found a makeshift prison where Russian troops tortured people. Over 40 civilians were held and tortured in various ways, including electrical shocks, 
in a basement. One man said he was held for 46 days for having a picture of a relative in a military uniform. Scratched into the wall in Ukrainian was the Lord's Prayer. Serhii Bolinov, head of the investigation department of the main department of national police in Kharkiv Oblast, said that residents were coming forward and showing where bodies have been buried, including those who were executed at the southern checkpoint into the city on the last day of occupation. Russian sources report that Russian soldiers wounded in action received terrible treatment from the Ministry of Defense. The reports of early release, injuries being minimized, and soldiers who still have rods in their bodies to stabilize broken bones are well known. In a recent report, Russian soldiers are released with only their underwear, and no clothing is made available to them. There is a dire shortage of military uniforms, and no plan has been made to provide them with alternatives. Most hospitalized soldiers arrive with uniforms bloodied and torn from combat injuries. Finally, in a segment I'm calling Some Good News, it is one thing to liberate a village in Ukraine. It is a whole different level when you liberate the village where your mother lives. She says, quote, I knew you'd come. The flowers bloomed. I protected your things, but the house is booby-trapped. I cooked borscht. Do you want to have some? I knew you would free me. End quote. We link to the video with translation on Twitter, at MalcontentmentT. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.